All right, we better get into the study this afternoon on the role of Israel and the church in end-time Bible prophecy. This is a prophecy timeline. I'm going to take you to prophecies in Scripture about Israel. We'll show you, obviously, something that we already know, that when our God makes a promise, he keeps it. And we'll see where those prophecies started what their significance is and where we are today and where we will be. So in our timeline, first of all, we have to answer this question, which to a certain extent we already answered and addressed when we were talking about understanding Israel in the Middle East crisis. Why does the world hate Israel? And obviously in our previous study, we said that it has a lot to do with anti-Semitism. I firmly believe this is the root of where anti-Semitism began. Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. You've got two things going on in this verse. You've got a prophecy of the virgin birth of Christ. Because it talks about the woman having a seed, and biblically it should be the man. The only way a woman can have a seed is if she's the one giving birth without the aid, obviously, of a man doing so. And this is a prophecy of Christ. And it says that Christ, he shall bruise you. The you in here would be Satan. Christ shall bruise Satan on the head. How many of you know that's a fatal wound? In other words, what that is saying is in the end times, Christ is going to defeat Satan. And all Satan will be able to do, Satan, you're only going to be able to bruise Jesus on the heel. That's indicative of a non-fatal wound. So right there in Genesis 3.15, you've got the prophecy of one who is born of the virgin who basically said, Satan, I'm coming after you and I'm going to be the one responsible for your demise because I'm going to kill you. And ever since then, Should we be surprised, obviously, that Satan has had a vested interest in going after those of Jesus' line, the Jews, and trying to destroy Israel? Because Satan figures, hey, you know what? If I could destroy Israel, then Jesus has nowhere to come back to, and I win. That's why the world hates Israel. Let's, though, take a look now at our prophecy timeline from beginning to end. I think... This is a good place to start. Genesis 15, 18. A covenant promise of the land made between the Lord and Abram or Abraham. It says in Genesis, Genesis 15, 18. Now note the borders of the land that God promised in here. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. And he said, I've given this land to your descendants. This land goes all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River in Iraq. How many of you know that's a lot of land? How many of you know that Israel isn't anywhere near that today? But that's how God deemed it to be. I don't see where God says there's any Palestinian land in there at all, do you? So God basically says, look, there is going to be coming a day and time when I will bring your descendants into that land. And about 500 years later, that's exactly what happened. The fulfillment of this promise. And of course, it'll continue to be fulfilled in a greater way when Israel becomes this and more. But God brought Abraham's descendants into the land right here. Joshua chapter 3, verse 17. This, is, this verse is some 450 to 500 years later after the Lord spoke to Abraham in Genesis fifteen eighteen, And here in Joshua three seventeen. 
The Israelites have finished up 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses obviously has gone up to Mount Nebo to die because he can't get into the land. Joshua is leading them in. And here in Joshua 3.17, the Israelites are getting ready to cross from east to west across the Jordan River from the plains of Moab, from a country today we know as Jordan. And as they were crossing, here's what happened. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, which means that just as God had parted the Sea of Reeds at the beginning of their 40 years in the wilderness, he's obviously parted the water of the Jordan River out of the way so that they can come into the Holy Land on dry ground right there in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Here in Joshua 3.17, God has just brought the descendants of Abraham into the land of Israel. Now, when they got into the land of Israel, you'll remember at the end of Deuteronomy, God said, now when you go into the land, you've got two choices. Um, You can be the recipients of blessings, or you could be the recipients of curses. Here's how you get the blessings. Obey everything I tell you, don't worship false gods, and don't mess around with the pagans. That's how you get blessed. Now, on the other hand, if you decide to worship other gods and mess around with the pagans and do what they do and worship idols, that's how you're going to get cursed. If you receive the blessings, it's going to be great because I'll keep your enemies far from you. I'll give you rain in its season. Everything will be terrific. But if instead you disobey me, you'll receive the curses, which means that I won't protect you from your enemies. They will come in and invade your land and they'll take you away to their own. So when the Israelites got in the land, knowing that God had told them that, they, of course, said, we are going to be obedient to God and we'll receive the blessings. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? That was a real question. I just want to see if you're awake. How many of you know that didn't happen at all? How many of you know the Israelites disobeyed God? And as promised, the Lord brought, obviously, invading forces and armies into Israel to bring those Jewish people out of their own land and capture them. Here is an example of just one. Deuteronomy 28 is a very prophetic chapter in Scripture. Deuteronomy 28, we believe, was written around 1500 B.C. And so around 586 B.C., nearly a thousand years later, what Deuteronomy 28 verses 36 and 37 are talking about in here came to be. Because the Israelites disobeyed them, the Lord said, God will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. And there in exile, you will worship gods of wood and stone. You will become an object of horror, ridicule, and mockery among all the nations to which the Lord sends you. How many of you know this happened? And obviously, this is a prophecy of the Babylonian exile, where in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in, destroyed the first temple, took the uh, Israelites out of the land and held them in captivity for 70 years. And at the end of that 70-year period, around 516 B.C. or so, when the Jewish people got back into the land of Israel, they said, of course, wow, I guess God is serious We've learned our lesson. We will never worship false gods ever again. And from that time on, they were perfect angels. And that's how the story worked out, isn't it? Everybody shake your head no. Right. They continued in their disobedience. And God said, okay, I told you what happens if you're disobedient. I send an invading army in. They mess you up. And it happened again. 
The year is now 70 AD. God had prophesied 1,500, 1,600 years before. In Deuteronomy 28, in verses 49, actually through 52, but I've isolated those two verses, that yet another enemy army would come in and attack Jerusalem. Now, how do we know that this is a prophecy of the Roman invasion of Jerusalem? Could we just be taking these verses and assigning them to something that fits? Well, I'll read these verses for you, and I'm going to emphasize certain words, and we'll see why it fits the picture. We're at 1500 BC now, some 1600 years before this event. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down. A nation whose language you will not understand. They will attack your cities until all the fortified walls in your land, the walls you trusted to protect you, are knocked down. They will attack all the towns in the land the Lord your God has given you. Prophesied around 1500 B.C., fulfilled in the year 70 A.D., where Rome invades Jerusalem. How do we know this is talking about specifically the Roman army? Well, there's a couple of ways. It says, first of all, we'll bring a nation against you like an eagle swooping down. The historian Josephus records that one of the reasons the Roman invasion of Jerusalem was so swift is because the Roman army came in and attacked in what was known as the Flying Eagle Formation. Second, uh, a nation whose language you will not understand. That was certainly the case. And look at this part. They will attack your cities until all the fortified walls in your land, the walls you trusted to protect you, are knocked down. The walls that the Jewish people trusted in were the walls of the temple. And the Roman army knocked them all down. Now you'd probably say, well, Jack, come on, if we go to Israel today, the western wall, the wailing wall is still standing, so I guess they didn't knock all of them down. Yeah, they did. The western wall was never actually part of the temple building proper itself. It was part of the esplanade that houses the temple building. So you've got a perfect fit here to Rome invading Jerusalem and destroying the second temple. Now, after this event happened, there were many Jews who basically said, we can't take it anymore. I mean, Rome has destroyed our temple. Nobody's safe. And uh, by the way, a couple of years later, there were some 964, 967 Jews who escaped Roman oppression up to a mountaintop in Israel called Masada. A couple of years later, though, the Romans managed to get up that mountain and tried to slaughter all those Jews. The problem was that the Jews saw them coming and basically had all taken their own lives to deprive Rome of that. But it was also around this time that many Jewish people said, you know, I guess Israel isn't safe anymore. We really need to go and, and, and uh, go into other countries. They thought that they were doing that under their own volition, but God himself prophesied that that would occur in places like this one, Ezekiel 22, verse 15, where the Lord said, I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you into other countries. I will put an end to your uncleanness. And when the Jewish people left Israel, many of them said, wow, we can go to a land where Rome has no influence this is great. Finally, no more oppression, no more dealing with Caesar, no more paying those crazy taxes. And now, wherever we go, we are going to live in peace. How many of you know that didn't happen? 
And the reason that didn't happen is because God had prophesied that that's not the way it was going to happen. Let's go back to our prophetic chapter again in Deuteronomy 28, verses 65 through 67, where God himself said what was going to happen to those people once they left Israel. He said, among those nations where you go, you will find no peace or place to rest. The Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing of eyes and despair of soul. Your life will hang in doubt. You will live night and day in fear, unsure if you will survive. In the morning you will say, if only it were night. And in the evening you will say, if only it were morning. For you will be terrified by the awful horrors you see around you. These people had left Israel trying to find peace, but wherever they went, they were persecuted, murdered, tortured, forced conversions. And the persecution, by the way, didn't only go on in those early days. In fact, there has been a more recent event of persecution, something that most of us are probably familiar with, the Holocaust. And did you know that the Holocaust is prophesied in Scripture? A couple of different places. Ezekiel talks about it in the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. But I want to show you a more graphic prophecy of the Holocaust foretold in Isaiah chapter 3. It's in verses 17 through 24, but I've just isolated these two verses for you. And what I want to do is as I read these verses, I want you to close your eyes so that you can actually in your mind get a picture of the type of people I'm describing. When I'm reading, so close your eyes now and listen close. Therefore, the Lord will bring sores on the heads of the women of Zion. The Lord will make their scalps bald. In that day, the Lord will snatch away their finery, the bangles and headbands, crescent necklaces. Instead of a fragrance, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-dressed hair, baldness. Instead of fine clothing, sackcloth. And instead of beauty, branding. You can open up your eyes now. Anybody get an interesting picture in your minds? Let's say of people, particularly women, being hauled off to places like Auschwitz, Dachau, Treblinka, Sobibor, Theresienstadt. The list goes on and on and on. And when they were brought in there, obviously their hair was shaved off. Their valuables were taken away from them. And they were branded with a tattoo. Just like God had prophesied this was going to happen nearly 2,500 years earlier. But of course, even though the Holocaust was a terrible event, we understand that while our God never promises to exempt us from persecution, that he always promises to deliver us through it. And he did here because then this event occurred the liberation of people from the Holocaust. In Ezekiel's discourse, if you will, on the Valley of the Dry Bones, from Ezekiel 37, verses 12 through 14. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. My people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. Then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when that happens, you'll know that I'm the Lord. I will put my spirit in you. And you will live again and return home to your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I said. And how many of you know this happened? 1945, 
Folks were liberated from the concentration camps. As we saw the photo in the previous teaching of the SS Exodus, eventually many of them did go to Israel after the boats went back, but the people began coming in droves. And of course, Israel became a state in 1948. That's the next prophecy that follows. We saw this prophecy in understanding the Middle East crisis, and it's in here as well. The birth of Israel in one day once again from Isaiah chapter 66 verses 7 and 8. And of course we talked about this double prophecy in the previous study. Israel becoming a state in one day and then of course the, the birth of the nation happening and then the labor pains of war that followed. Now we're now up to May the 14th of 1948 in our prophetic timeline. So we've gone a couple of thousand years in a relatively short time. That was pretty quick, wasn't it? Now let's look at some prophecies that have been happening since then. And these now are prophecies that are going on right now today in our own time. Here's the next one. Isaiah prophesied that as people were and continue to come into the land of Israel, that eventually... After a short time, the land would begin to become too narrow to accommodate its ever-increasing population. Isaiah 49, 19. Even the most desolate parts of your abandoned land will soon be crowded with your people. You enemies who had enslaved you will be far away. This is happening now. When Israel became a state, as we saw from that map, she had a lot more land than she did today. And yet the population back then was only about 700. She's been slimming off land ever since to give back to her Arab neighbors. But from 1948, that population of 700,000 people has now exploded to over 9 million. To where now she's starting to become a land that's getting too narrow to accommodate her ever-growing population. How many of you know this is being fulfilled right now in our lifetime today? Let's look at the next prophecy. Ah, a regathering. Isaiah 11.11, let me read it to you. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people, those who remain in Assyria, northern Egypt, in southern Egypt, Ethiopia, and Elam, Babylonia, Hamath, and all the distant coastlands. This is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah where God said that there is going to come a time where I am going to bring my Jewish people from different parts of the world back to the land of Israel. Not every single last Jew, but enough of the Jewish people so that it will be noticed by the world. And it's happening today. There's a term for it. It's called making Aliyah. And the word Aliyah is spelled A-L-I-Y-I-H. The word Aliyah means to go up. Because theoretically when you go up to Israel, you go to the temple. The temple in Jerusalem is on a higher elevation than every other town in the nearby area. So from whichever direction you're coming from, whether it's north, south, east, or west, you've got to go up, making Aliyah to the land of Israel, returning to the homeland. Now, all of this is good stuff, but it begs the obvious question. And the question actually that it begs is somebody could say, well, you know, Jack, this is terrific. This is all well and good and good for those Jewish people. They went through a lot of persecution. Now they're all coming back home, but we're the church. What in the world does this have to do with us? We know what it has to do with the Jews, but what does it have to do with us? And what role do we play in it? And the answer 
are these scripture verses. And I think I alluded to these verses the other night, but it's important for me to do so again. This is where Paul says in Romans 11, for I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the full number, better translation is the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. <clears throat> Here's what I call the JZV of Romans 11.25. It's the Jack Zimmerman version. Why should we care about Jewish people coming back into the land? Why should we care about Israel and what the Jews are doing? Because as they're coming back into the land, the church has been given a prophetic call by God to come into not the full number. That's dispensational. The church has been called to its fullness. When the church comes into its fullness, that means the light bulb goes on within the church as a whole, not just here in America, but all across the world where the church understands it's God given calling to bring the gospel to everybody and in particularly like paul said don't forget the jewish people because when we share the good news with jewish people it's going to result obviously what happens when we share the gospel with people they get saved when we share the the gospel with jewish people and in the past 50 years we've been doing that on a more aggressive basis and that's probably why in the past 50 years more jewish people have come to christ than at any other time since the first century the result is all israel will be saved does that mean every last jew i wish but it's talking about a tidal wave of Jewish people never before seen since the first century. And we're starting to see that now. And what will follow? The deliverer, Jesus, will come from Zion. And so, church, why should we be focusing on the role of Israel in end-time prophecy? Because part of the prophetic events that occur with her, with her, we participate in and we play a role in to bring the gospel and in so doing, play a role in seeing the return of Christ. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let me close us in prayer, and we'll take then a couple of minutes for, uh, for questions and answers. And uh, then we'll head on out. Our precious Heavenly Father, <clears throat> Lord, I want to thank you so much for everybody who's come today. And Lord, as we'll all be, uh, be leaving here in a little bit, especially, Father, for our brothers in the Sioux, we ask that you give them traveling mercies back over the Mackinac Bridge. And for everybody else, Lord God, whether near or far, please keep us safe on the roads. Keep our family safe as well. And thank you for giving this time. And Lord, we're also so thankful and so grateful to folks like Mike Cohan and uh, Pastor Michael Way for opening up this church for a couple of days and setting this wonderful conference aside on the schedule. And we look forward to doing so again in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions before you head on out, everybody? Yes. What would you say to someone who said, well, that's all been fulfilled? I, I mean, I, I see um, more than that, but um, says that, well, Israel did come back into the land already. Well, <clears throat> on the one hand, Abraham's descendants did come back into the land. On the other hand, uh, there are certain prophecies in here about the return of people to Israel, which could only take place 
after Israel once again became a state. For example, Isaiah 11, 11 is, is, is a perfect example to use. Because while Israel did come back into the land prior, uh, following the 40 days of wandering in the wilderness, she wasn't bringing Ethiopians with her. There weren't any people from Upper Egypt, Lower Egypt, Babylonia, or Hamath. Because for all intents and purposes, nobody knew about those countries. In that mass of people who came out of Egypt, those countries weren't even involved. So it would have to apply to a later time. Including not the Babylonian exile return. Exactly. Exactly. So appreciate the question, Jonathan. Thanks a lot. Anybody else? Well, I'll tell you what. Can I close? Should I close with that blessing? I'm going to close with a blessing and send you on out. Uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, called the priestly blessing or the ironic benediction. And I believe I've done it. Each day that I've been here, and, uh, and today will be the last, Mike and Michael, thank you, the two of you again, for starting this off and inviting me here. It has been an honor, despite the weather, which I love, by the way. It's been a, an honor and a privilege and just a humbling experience to just come and have fellowship with you on, on behalf of Jonathan Burness and Jewish Voice Ministries. Uh, we're very, very grateful, and we look forward to the next time, whether it's November or July. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord our God lift up his countenance upon you. And may he grant you his peace. And sung in the Hebrew, it sounds this way. Shalom. And all of God's people said, <clears throat> excuse the scratchingness in the throat, everybody. God bless you. Till next time. It's been wonderful spending time with you. Get home safe. Thank you for coming.